Amen. Amen. Take your copy of God's Word this morning, if you will, and turn to that very first book of our Bible, the book of Genesis. And turn specifically, if you will, to Genesis chapter 47. Genesis chapter 47. We're going to look in a moment at verse 7 and read through this account. Just a few verses here this morning as God speaks to us. But you know a question that I've always had is kind of like, what is the magical age or what is the magical moment of life when a person kind of passes into adulthood? I mean, it's kind of the idea of where does a boy become a man? Where does a girl become a woman? Is there a certain age? Like, like maybe 12. There are some here that would disagree with the majority of you probably, especially those who are 13 or 14 or so. But is it 12? Is it 18? Is it 25 or 30? Is there a certain age specific that says this is where an individual passes from childhood into adulthood? Or, let me ask this, is there a moment like a certain ceremony, a rite of passage that a person experiences that says they have moved now from, again, childhood into adulthood. Maybe it's the graduation from high school. Maybe it's moving in to college somewhere. And many of you know this week there were a lot of people who moved in to the university here in Ruston. So is it that moving? Is it when a person moves out? I thought I heard some people start clapping in the back or so. Is it when a person gets married? Is it when a person has a child? You know, there's so many questions I have. Like, where is that moment where a person passes from childhood into adulthood when the boy becomes a man, when a woman or a girl becomes a woman? When is that moment? And what I've seen and what I've noticed is I don't think there's a specific age. Because I've seen some 30-year-olds that I don't think have reached adulthood yet. <laughs> I knew I, was got to, I had to be careful going here this morning. I don't think there's a certain ceremony, a rite of passage. I, I mean, there are some who have gone to college, and obviously they are adults, but there are some who are not so much adults. There are those who have moved out, and again, they are adults, but others who are not so much adults. There are people who are married that you would think would be adults, and yet they are not necessarily adults in many ways, in their communication or in their life. So what does it mean to become a real man or a real woman? Well, maybe we can glean some truth from this passage today. As we look at the life of Joseph, and there's no doubt to me, as you look at this life, especially here in chapter 47, that the, that the boy who left Canaan, the 17-year-old who went down to Egypt because of his brother's envy, because of all these different circumstances and situations that occurred in his life, that that boy has now certainly become a man. And I want to show you some characteristics of what a real man or even a real woman looks like from chapter 47, verse 7, all the way through verse 12. Let's, let's read the whole account first, and then we'll come back and look at verse 7. It, it says there, Then Joseph brought in his father 
Jacob and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. They've not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out before Pharaoh. And Joseph situated his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread according to the number in their families. So the family of Joseph, the family of Jacob, had come down to Canaan. They were coming down hoping to find some type of livelihood, substance, sustenance. A famine had taken place there in Canaan, and a famine was widespread through the region. Everybody was coming to Egypt for help. Everybody was coming to Egypt for survival. And here, in this moment, Joseph, of course, has welcomed his family. We've looked at that already in this story. Joseph welcomed his family. Even though Joseph had been betrayed by many in his family, he actually welcomed them into Egypt. And this is what I would share with you first. He accepted the responsibility that God had given him. You see, I believe as you look at this passage, and we're going to flesh it out in a moment, I believe you have to say that real men and real women accept their God-given responsibility. I think that's one of the characteristics of what it means to be a truly mature, spiritually mature adult, a spiritually mature believer, is that we look at the responsibility that God has given us at the moment, and we respond by accepting that responsibility and fulfilling what God has called us to do. Joseph believed firmly that God had sent him to Egypt. You don't believe me? Go back to chapter 45, look at verse 5, all the way through verse 9. There is this consistent conviction that he has that God was the one that had sent him to Egypt. Now, that's important because when you read the story, and I read the story, it just seems like a bunch of envious brothers were the ones who sent him to Egypt. Or... There were those cousins, the Midianites, the Ishmaelites, who had carried him down to Egypt. And to see him enslaved, to see him in prison, you and I probably wouldn't be processing it. Oh yeah, God was behind all of this. And yet in Joseph's life, there was the firm conviction that God was the one orchestrating all of these events and bringing Joseph to this moment to give him a responsibility, a responsibility to take care of Egypt, but much more a responsibility to take care of his family. He didn't use an excuse about that responsibility. Now, you and I, we can come up with so many excuses, can we not? Come on, confession time. I can't hear you in the gathering. You need to speak up up there. You and I, we have all kinds of excuses. We, we talk about excuses of children, but all we do as we get older is we, we grow more sophisticated in our excuses. They're still the same kind of excuses, 
we're busy or certain things and we just didn't have time to get to this and we didn't, couldn't pick our shoes up because, you know, somebody was calling. There were all kinds of things. We still do the same thing as we grow older. And can you imagine the excuses that Joseph could have used? And, and Jacob, to some degree, when Jacob is before Pharaoh, Jacob is kind of like, man, it's been a rough, rough life. Isn't that what he said? He said, my, my years have been few. He's 130, okay? Now, I know, listen, I know that Abraham lived to like uh, 175 or so, and Isaac was 180. So, yeah, he hasn't lived as long as they have, but... 130 years, that, that's still, that's, that's a long time, right? Right? Dwight, it's a long time, right? 130. You've seen a lot over the last 140 years yourself. You know, it, it's a long time. And he says, oh, they've been few. And, and it's been a rough life. And, and I'm not arguing with Jacob. Jacob has experienced some heartache. I believe he has. I, I'm not arguing with him at all. But how about the 39-year-old Joseph that's standing here? Joseph could have talked about his problems. This could have been a true pity party that they could have shared with one another. You, you know like I'm talking about. Like somebody will, somebody will say, let me tell you about the things going on in my life. And they begin telling you, and you want to be very uh, empathetic. But if you're not careful, what you want to do is tell them the things that have gone on in your life. Right? Have you ever heard this? In the church life, we do it better than anybody else. We up our sad story, and somebody else will up that sad story, and we'll go. And I'm not, I'm not taking away. I'm not saying that we don't have tragic, difficult stories. As a matter of fact, I would suggest we have a bunch of tragic, difficult stories. Many of us have experienced brokenness. But here in this place, Joseph is not turning around saying, let me tell you about all the excuses or all the things that have happened to me and make excuse from my responsibility. He's not doing that. He actually assumes the responsibility. The responsibility to take care of his family. No matter what kind of obstacles he's had, no, what, no matter what kind of barriers he's experienced, I would even say this to you. No matter what type of background he's come from. I want to circle back to a few weeks ago. And just remind you of what family life was like for Joseph. Because if you read about the family of Jacob, you will see strife. You will see envy. You will see violence. You will see a dad. You will see a man named Jacob who cedes his authority, who cedes his responsibility for his family. Go back and read it. Look at it. Jacob just kind of allows everything just to happen. You know, whatever it is, you know, kids, y'all are doing your thing, and, and I know that there's some hostility. Either, let me just say this again, either he had checked out and didn't know what was going on in his kids' lives, and he did not know the hostility, or he knew the hostility and he just ignored it. Either way, he was a passive dad. So Joseph could have very easily said, well, I want to be just like dad. I, I, I'm just going to, I'm going to follow his pattern of life and accept the passivity and just allow things to happen. And mm -mm. 
That's not the Joseph that you see in the Scriptures. That is not the Joseph you see right here. Thanks be to God, Joseph recognized his responsibility. And he knew he was not to accept passivity in his life, but he had to be intentional in who he was. He recognized that. And this is the glorious thing about it, folks. No matter what we've been through, no matter our background or our family life, no matter what it is, you and I can still accept our God-given responsibility. This is what is so tremendous, is that God can give us the power to lay down the baggage of the generations and accept the responsibility that he has provided for us right in front of us. I am so grateful for a God that's like that. That I don't have to get caught in the old cycle. And look, up until this point, if you look at the patriarch's life, you would think they had this constant cycle of deception and conflict and strife. I mean, you'd see it over and over and over. Who would know that the one who was sold into Egypt, who would have to deal with the Egyptian culture, that it would be that individual who would reject passivity and say, I'll accept my responsibility before God. That's what you see. You see, when when Jacob came to town and he saw Joseph, and it was an intimate moment. I shared that with you a little bit last week. It was an intimate moment. And I think there was a part of him that said, oh, this is my little boy. This is the the one that I gave the variegated coat, the colored coat to. This is the one that I had loved, and he's alive. And there's the excitement, but it was like still... He was the little lad. But what Jacob is finding out is that Joseph isn't a little lad anymore. He's a man. And he has accepted his God-given responsibility. Now see, in Scripture, I believe that there's a natural tendency for humans to give in to passivity in their life. Some years ago I did a study and it helped me out to just kind of see that. Where like human beings just kind of like to accept passivity. In other words, just let things happen. Let me say, especially men. Men in particular. That they have become so passive. And we have become so passive. But we're just like our... Let me figure it up just a moment. Great, 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 granddaddy named Adam. We're just kind of like him. Remember, God had instructed Adam with the responsibility of not eating of the forbidden fruit, of somehow leading his family, Eve in particular, in that way. It is the reason in the New Testament That yes, we know Eve sinned, but the scripture says by one man sin entered into the world. Because it was his responsibility. He was supposed to be taking leadership. Where was Adam? What was Adam doing? It is a question I've always thought about. Like, was he standing to the side just saying, oh, let's see what happens. If Eve takes this bite, let's see if she really will die. Or, or maybe he just, maybe he was just lax. He was just, I don't know. Where was he? 
And that same question still screams today, does it not? When you see families in debacle, when you see difficulty around us, does that same question not scream over and over, where was he? Where was that dad, that father, that husband, where was he? He might have been there physically, but emotionally and mentally it was like he checked out. Where was that mother? Where was that wife? I say to you that we still have to reject passivity. We cannot give in to Satan's scheme of just letting things go. We have to be the intentional leaders God has prepared us and called us to be. We must accept our God-given responsibility. And when you accept your God-given responsibility, you are on a journey to reject the spiritual childhood and to embrace a spiritual maturity in your life. Joseph was going to take care of his family. He stepped up to take care of them. Hey, isn't that the life of Jesus as well? Think of this. Of one true example who accepts his God-given responsibility. God the Father, according to Scripture, sent his one and only Son. Right? Isn't that what we believe? That the Father sent the Son. And according to what we see in the New Testament, the Son willingly and voluntarily accepted the mission. Jesus was not forced, but he accepted it. Must have been quite a scene in heaven. When Jesus was summoned, when he was brought before the Father to enter into a state we call incarnation, that he was to become God in flesh on earth. And when Jesus willingly, according to Philippians chapter 2, willingly humbled himself, humbled himself as a servant, humbled himself by taking on flesh. Jesus was not just saying, oh, let things happen the way they will. Jesus was saying, I will take the responsibility that you, my Father, have given me. And I will do what you have called me to do. His first words recorded in Scripture, remember? The first words of Jesus recorded in Scripture. I know Jesus had said some things beforehand. I know he had. But the first ones recorded in Scripture, I must be about my Father's business. The young Jesus, I got to do what the Father told me to do. And he was voluntarily saying, I've got to do it. Because I got a responsibility. And every day when he ministered, Every day when he brought healing, every day when he taught with authority, each and every day, he was fulfilling that responsibility. Ultimately to the cross itself. Because he humbled himself to become a man, flesh and blood. But he ultimately humbled himself to suffering and to the cross. 
because the cross was his responsibility. No other person could do it. Let me just say that. No other person. Because only Jesus was the holy, righteous sacrifice that could be accepted for our sins. So he died on the cross. That's one who's recognized his God-given responsibility and stepped up to it. Oh, may I mention this? Obviously, he was responsible to the Father and to the mission. But remember when he was there on the cross, what he did for his mom? Here he was on the cross. He's dying. He's suffering. And he looks at John, the disciple. And he looks at his mother, Mary. And he says to Mary first, he says, Woman, behold your son. Then he looks at John and he says, Behold your mother. And the scripture says, From that day she dwelt in the house of John. And this, and this, I mean, here's a 33-year-old man that's on the cross and you would think he's got so many things going on in his mind, but he knew he had a God-given responsibility, yes, first and foremost to salvation and to the Father, but he also knew he had a responsibility to his mom who was standing out there watching her child die. And he says, I want you to know that I'm taking care of you still. Folks, that's a man. That's a man who steps up to his God-given responsibility and takes care of his family the way he should. You and I, if we are to be the men and the women that we need to be, if we are to be the spiritually mature individuals that God has called us to be, then we must accept our God-given responsibility. And we must accept our God-given accountability. Responsibility. Joseph knew he had to be the one to step up. But note his accountability. Now Joseph was like second in charge. He was the prime minister. Pharaoh had said, I'm the only one that has authority over you. You can do anything else. You go do whatever. I'm the one that obviously you'll answer to. But have freedom. You go do what you need to do. So Joseph welcomes his family, and he says, I'm going to take care of you. He had told them that in verse 45 when he had said, go back and get dad, because I'm going to make sure you all are okay. And they come down, they meet Joseph, and what does Joseph say? We got to go talk to Pharaoh. Now, I could have left this out, but I think this is pretty important. Joseph never looked at his position, his place of authority, as a position or role in which he could abuse or misuse. He always realized he was still under somebody else's authority. I mean, come on. If it had been our family, oh, Pharaoh told me I could do all that. Let's just move you over here to this wonderful place called Goshen, the best of the land. Uh, it's right around the Nile uh, River here, the the basin, you'll, you'll, it's wonderful. I'm just going to move you over there. We won't say anything to Pharaoh. He's good with it. Don't worry about it. I'll, I'll take care of things. It's not the way Joseph responded. 
Joseph said, let's go talk to Pharaoh about this. Even an appearance of malfeasance or evil was not acceptable to Joseph. Man, I got to appreciate that about him. I mean, I, I, I love that about him because so many of us, I mean, we get in positions and then we just kind of presume. We have the authority. We have, I mean, we're in a certain position. It's kind of like we can do anything. And, and I would say to those of us who find ourselves in those places, be very, very careful. Because what happens with our ego and our character is we are driven by the power and the authority we think we have. And before we know it, we've crossed lines. Ethical, spiritual lines that are not acceptable to the God of heaven. We can justify it all day long. We can try to explain it all day long. But we need to recognize that God has placed authorities in our lives. And he has called us to be accountable to those authorities. If you're working in a company somewhere, he has placed people in that company for you to respect and recognize as authorities in who you are and the way you work. There is an accountability. All of us live under some type of authority. And we ought to have respect. Even when we don't necessarily think they're the most Christian or when we don't think they're uh, the most ethical themselves, we are to live under some type of authority. I remind you again, Pharaoh, as far as I know, has not converted to the God of Israel. He's not a Yahwist. He is not following Yahweh in any way. And yet, Joseph, recognizing position, still defers. David, oh, he gave us a great example, did he not? Of respecting the authority that God had placed over him. Because there were moments when he had hoped or probably thought about taking Saul's life. He even had a couple of opportunities. And yet, he yielded to the God of heaven and he yielded to the authority that God had placed over him. And he would not give in. And he would not. He would not accept any type of ungodly or immoral action against that authority. Wouldn't do it. So again for us, I hate to remind you, but there are places of authority. There are positions of authority. Children, parents are your authority. Look at the New Testament. It teaches us there is an authoritative position within parents. Employees, read a little bit of Colossians chapter 3. You'll see that you and I are, we are bound to honor the authority of those who would supervise us. Who would be our bosses. Citizens, go back and read a little Romans 13. We are to honor, we are to respect, we are to show deference to the authority of those in government. One of my personal favorites, 1 Peter, church members have to bow to the authority of the pastor. Did I say it? Anyway. <laughs> moving on, moving on. All of us, all of us have some type of authority. 
And let me say this. No matter who we are, no matter what our position, we all are accountable to the God of heaven. Every individual. He's given us responsibility, but he has also given us an accountability. So I say to you that if you're a real man or if you're a real woman, you will recognize and accept and embrace the accountability he's placed in your life and in my life. I'd say this lastly. Real men and real women accept their God-given capability. Now, I know this kind of goes back, fits very well with the responsibility, but I want you to hear this that there's a sense of capability that God has given us. There's certain things we are capable of doing. There's certain things that he has put in our sphere of influence. There are certain gifts and talents. There are certain places that he puts us strategically. He gives us capability. I, I would say to you that every ability and capability you have is from God. Everything. For us to be able to uh, work or breathe, or whatever it is in life. It is all a gift of the Heavenly Father. Everything is. So all of us have been given capabilities. You may say, I don't have. Yes, you do. Everybody in this place has a capability before God. We might even say in the New Testament, everybody has a spiritual gift. Everybody has some type of blessing in there. Everybody has an opportunity to make a difference for others. Notice again Joseph here. Joseph has been given a unique, wonderful capability. He can actually influence Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world at this time because of the famine. He can influence Pharaoh. He can, under Pharaoh's supervision and authority, as we just spoke about, he can actually help Take care of his family. What a blessing. And remember, there were like 66 plus who came down to Egypt that were mentioned earlier. I mean, overall, 70 plus in the family. That's that's a big family. Do you know what it's like to feed them? Man, I got four kids, and they're getting older. Sam's every week now, baby. Sam's. Do you know how cheap their milk is? God blessed him with so much to be able to take care of his whole family. And as we looked at earlier, took care of his whole family, but took care of the nation. See, Joseph realizes that there is going to be this preservation of the remnant through him. Now, See, this I think would excite me is that God has allowed me to have the capability. He's blessed me so that I can participate in this story in such a way that I can take care of my family and I can make sure that my family is going to exist through the ages. God's given me that opportunity. God's given me that capability. How exciting is that? That I can participate in his work. And I hear my old dad just that again, a grouchy kind of like, oh, I haven't lived long and all of that. And Joseph's like, man, I'm getting an opportunity to take care of everybody. And I get to do what God's called me to do. Maybe that's because he he had experienced the pit and the prison. Maybe that's because he had been in Potiphar's house 
And there were moments where he thought that he may never have the capability of doing such things. Maybe he was reflecting on that. But regardless, <laughs> God had blessed him so. God had blessed him so that he could participate by providing, by taking care, by working on behalf of God himself. How awesome is that? And what I would ask you is what has God given you the capability of doing? What has he given you the responsibility? Who has he made you accountable to? Joseph had been working to this moment. He had been faithful. Someone has said, when you do the things you have to do, when you have to do them, the day will come when you get to do the things you want to do, when you want to do them. He's been doing a lot of things that he had to do, and he had to do them in a certain time frame because of the people that he was responsible to, but now, in a sense, he's getting to do what he wants to do under the authority of God, as he wants to do them. He's getting to bless others because God's given him that capability. I look around Temple often and I think to myself how God has blessed us and how he has blessed us with people that have capability to teach, hey, to speak, to encourage we have people that can make a lemon icebox pie. Don't underestimate the power of the lemon icebox pie and the encouragement. People who make casserole, people who do things for others. You have all kinds of capabilities. But will you accept that capability, that blessing that God has given you? Will you recognize because you have that capability, you have a responsibility? And you, will you live in such a way that you are accountable to God and to the church and to others as you minister? What have you been given to make a difference with? It may be material that you can help and bless somebody this week, somebody that is struggling. It may be in a more emotional, mental, spiritual kind of way, maybe. Not to take away from the resources. Every good gift is from God. But maybe it is a word of encouragement. Maybe it is the influence. Maybe it is whatever. May I remind you that you and I in this place... We have been given the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And when you've been given the glorious gospel of Christ, and you've been given the Holy Spirit to reside within you, to empower you, then that means you have all sorts of capabilities. That means that you can share that gospel with somebody else. You want to talk about capability, responsibility, and accountability that we have, even as it relates to the gospel? that we get to share with other people that they can come into the life and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that we can tell people that yes, they may be down and they may experience sin and they experience brokenness, but so have we. And the only thing that we could find healing in was in the name of Jesus and encourage people to come and experience that life that only he can give. It's a time in our community where life is buzzing, when people are moving into dorms or they've just moved into dorms, they've just started classes, when you have people in the school systems where we're going and children are being taught, do you realize the opportunity right now? There are people who are outside these walls who are lost, and God has given us that capability to share the good news. And sometimes I'm just as overwhelmed as I think Joseph must have been. That God would give me that opportunity at this moment to make a difference in people's lives. We didn't read it, but there in chapter 47, verse 4, when they had come down, it said they were coming down to dwell. The word actually there, I think, is better translated sojourn. So even when they came down, they recognized this was supposed to be just a temporary location. Egypt was not their home. In a sense, they're like, hey, we're just sojourning through here, taking care. We're just like pilgrims. And I know they'll end up staying 400 plus years. But God's got better plans for them. He's going to take them back to the promised land, to Canaan. Joseph even knows that. For us, we're just here for just a little bit. We're sojourning. Life's a vapor which appears for a little while, and then boom, it's gone. Just a little while. Just a little while. What are you doing to make your life count for Christ? What are you doing to make a difference in your family, in your workplace? in your classroom, in your community. See, Joseph made his life count because he accepted his God-given responsibility. He accepted the God-given accountability. And he accepted the God-given capability. For those of us today to truly make our life count, we must do those same things. And then and only then will we become the men and women that God God wants us to be. Would you hear his message? Would you respond in prayer and commitment? Just seek him this morning as we call upon him during this time of invitation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. No doubt, Lord, your presence is here in this place. And Father, I pray that you would speak to us. There's some guys in here that need to step up to bat when it comes to their family, their workplace. There's some women in here, Lord, that you're speaking to as far as, Lord, their capability and how you want to use them to make a difference and God you've challenged so many of us who are believers 
to just be a part of sharing your gospel and good news with others. We pray now you'd speak to us during this moment of invitation. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?